As we look at the Christmas season, we've been talking about giving. And last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As a matter of fact, if you haven't yet turned there, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Page 967 towards the back of your Bible. So we give. We started talking last week that we as Christians are to be a giving people. Now, this, the context that we are to be a giving people, and I think we should have the, uh, that main theme uh, on the screen for you there, we are to be a giving people. And we know that as Christians, that, that our lives are to be marked by giving. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, that our giving, it's not, to be, it's not a forced giving. It's not a giving that's kind of done begrudgingly that, oh, you know, I got to do this because I'm a Christian. You know, I got to put that tithe in the offering or I got to give of my time. I've got to do this or do that. It's not something that's done contentiously. But we're really, we're called to be a giving people out of the fullness of our hearts in light of all that we've received from Christ. And the thing that makes that hard is that giving is not always easy. I mean, financial giving is not always easy. Uh, Giving of your time, giving of, of your gifts and abilities, it's not always easy. There's times when we simply don't feel like it, right? There's times, as we'll even see this morning, when circumstances are difficult, And we have every reason in the world not to give. There are times when we feel that others don't deserve it. There's even times when we feel like we are being overlooked. So so why should we give to others? All of these things make giving in the real world rather difficult. But that doesn't negate the fact that we as Christians, we are called to be a giving people. It's not an option for us as Christians. And we started last week by looking at at, uh, four aspects of what it means to be a giving people. And we only looked at at, uh, the first aspect last week that we give because Christ has first given to us. That is why we are a giving people. If we don't start there, then we're starting on the wrong foundation. And of course, um, we saw from chapter 8 the crux of of this passage. Verses 8 and 9. We give because Christ is first given to us. Our giving, therefore, is to be an, an act of tangible love. Paul says that this giving is to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. How do we know that love is genuine? Because love and giving is done in action. And and verse 9 shows us that, that our giving is an act of response to what Jesus has already given us. What what, What a powerful Christmas verse a powerful verse for all of life verse 9 is you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Wow. Everything that we have in our spiritual life, everything that we have as we look around, it is a gift from God. None of us can say we have by our own hand. In fact, we saw in our series uh, so far in 1 Corinthians, Paul asks, what have you received that has not been given to you? It's easy to be like the rich man who says, my barns are full. I've accomplished all of this. What am I going to do? I'm just going to build bigger barns so I can store up more stuff. Of course, in the parable, God says, Thou fool, tonight your life will be required of you. Everything that we have and everything that we give is an act of response to what we have already received from Jesus. So this morning... Since we have this main foundation of why we give, why we're called to be a giving people, we're going to go further and develop what our perspective of giving looks like as Christians. And we're going to jump back uh, in 2 Corinthians. We already looked at the middle of this passage in chapter 8. Now we're going to jump to the beginning here in verse 1. But as we begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for just how you've blessed our hearts already this morning. Lord, with the reminder from our children. Lord, for God so loved the world that he gave. Lord, our definition of giving is not etched in our hearts and in our minds based upon what we do. Our definition of giving as Christians should be etched in our hearts and minds from what you have given. And Lord, what a special, special time of the year this is for us as Christians to take special time to remember the perfect gift of your Son. Your only begotten Son. The Son whom you've loved so that we too could then be called sons and daughters of God. Father, would you encourage our hearts this morning? Would you uh, renew a, a passion and a zeal for you this morning as we reflect upon all that you've given us and how our giving is an act of response? In Jesus' name, amen. We are to be a giving people. Reason number one, we give because Christ has first given to us. That's why we are a giving people. Secondly, the second aspect of being a giving people not only gives our reason that we give because of God's giving, but the second reason we see in our passage describes how we are to give. Number two, we give from our hearts. We give from our hearts. Read with me, if you will, in verse 1 
Paul says this to, to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, if you remember last week in verse 8, uh, Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The earnestness of others that Paul is talking about is what we read in verses 1 and 2. The, the giving, the earnestness of giving that's found in the churches of Macedonia. We are to give from our hearts and we see a perfect example of this with these churches of Macedonia. Now, as we too are called to give from our hearts, there's a few principles that we have to look at. First of all, if we are going to give from our hearts, we have to realize that giving is a ministry of grace. Giving is a ministry of grace. You may say, Pastor Adam, what do you mean by that? Well, verse 1 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given. Now, do you sense a pattern from what we've already seen in verses 8 and 9? Paul does not start with the giving of Christians to others. He starts with what God has first given. What did he give according to verse 1? He gave grace. You see, giving is a ministry of grace, first and foremost, not because of how we bless people or serve people. Giving is a ministry of grace, first and foremost, because of God's grace to us. If we're a Christian, none of us give or should give out of empty hearts. Because God has already filled our hearts with His grace. Dane Ortland, he's the, he's the guy that uh, we, we passed out his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. You remember that book? Uh, may, may, hopefully some of you have already read that book or are reading through it. He says this, according to this passage concerning giving and God's grace. This chapter is about divine grace and human giving. Grace without giving is fraudulent and no real grace at all. Giving without grace is moralistic do-goodism and only makes cranky Christians crankier. But... When the grace of God in the gospel, outrageous and undeserved, in defiance of what we most deeply deserve, comes washing into our hearts, our clenched hands soften, and we are released into the joy of generosity. You see, when our giving is characterized just by have to, just by need to, or what other people are going to think, or even how does this giving benefit me, 
All, is that, all that is is moralistic do-goodism that robs you of the joy of true giving. This morning, is your thoughts of giving, is it characterized by the grace that God has lavished upon you? Or is it something that simply fills your heart? With dread, with why do I have to do this? Ask yourself that. One of my favorite Christmas stories is uh, the Christmas Carol, the uh, story of Scrooge. In fact, Timothy is uh, uh, doing a, uh, an essay that he's required to do on the Christmas Carol. And uh, and uh, we were working on that, and, and uh, I was reading over his paper on Scrooge. What an example of a guy that was full of self. And, 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 and any giving, at the very little that he gave, was done begrudgingly. And what was it that, that opened up Scrooge's eyes to true giving. I mean, at the end of that short novel, I mean, he's just giving without thinking about it. It was that his perspective was changed. You see, if we don't start like we already saw in verse 9, if we don't see what we, again, the grace of God that has been given to us, then our perspective is totally wrong. Well, Paul talks about the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia. And this giving as a ministry of grace, not only do we see it's God's grace to us, but, but there's giving that has been done in a specific context. And, and the context here is, is uh, the churches in Macedonia. And of course, we're reading, this is back in the first century, and I have a little pic, uh, picture of a map where you see um, the, the region of Macedonia there. And you may see on that map some names of cities that look familiar. Philippi, for instance, is in Macedonia. What book of the Bible do we get from Philippi? Philippians. Uh, see anything else familiar up there? Well, how about Thessalonica? Uh, what what uh, book of the Bible do we get that was directed to the believers of Thessalonica? Thessalonians. Uh, you see Berea there. Uh, 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 the, uh, there's no specific epistle that's written to Berea, but we read of Berea in Acts 17 that they were more noble than, than the other Jews from the other cities because they heard what Paul said, and rather than reject it, they searched the Scriptures diligently to see if what Paul was saying was true. Now, there's a common denominator uh, between all of these cities in Macedonia. If you read in Acts 16 and Acts 17, you read of the start of these churches. Every single one of them started under trouble, tribulation, difficulty. 
And we read about the difficulty, not only this church was birthed in difficulty, but difficulty continued in the life of this church. You see, we don't give in a vacuum. We don't read our, 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 the Bible and then we see that you know, God's people are called to be a giving people. We're called to give of, uh, of um, our, our finances. We're called to give um, of our time and energy. We're just all around to be a giving people. Wouldn't it be great if we were in a little vacuum where trouble always separated us and we could just give skipping around and, and life is perfect and we're running through the fields and there's no difficulty. But many of you know that that's not life, right? I mean, how many times have you, uh, in the quietness of the morning, maybe it's before anybody's awake, before you head to work, uh, before the kids are up, you read the Scriptures, you take time alone with God, and, and He ministers to your heart, you close the pages thinking that you are spiritually refreshed, and then the first conflict in the day comes, and it's like, ah, oh, I forgot that I'm living outside of a perfect vacuum. We live in a broken world where there's difficulty, and that's where the truth of Scripture not only dwells, but empowers us to follow Christ despite the difficulties. You see, if we are to give out of full hearts, verse 1 shows us that giving is a ministry of grace, that we've received God's grace. And if we are to truly give from our hearts, verse 2 then shows us that this giving out of our hearts, it is dependent on inward motivation, not outward circumstances. Because look at the outward setting of what's going on among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What's the context here? A severe test of affliction. Wow, we're starting out on a good foot, right? Boy, what, what a perfect opportunity to be giving. We are going through a, not just a test of affliction, but a severe test of affliction. We read in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians and verse 5, we read there, Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted on every turn, fighting without and fear within. And that was just Paul and his, and his companions talking about the circumstances they experienced in Macedonia, let alone the churches. Does that seem like a context in which giving would be the priority on your mind? It, it's not for me. They were facing this severe test. You know what's interesting about that word test? That word test, it, it is translated in, in other parts of the New Testament. Romans 5, 4, he says, Endurance produces character. 
Do you know that word for testing that we see here is translated character there? In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 13, talking about this offering, it says, by their approval of this service. The word approval is where it's same word we get this word test from. In Philippians 2 and verse 22, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. That's the same word that we get this word test. This word test that, that Paul uses here, it is dealing with difficulty that is focused on refinement. That God, in His sovereignty, allows His people to go through difficulty, never to crush you, but to refine you. And when that is your perspective in the midst of testing, of difficulty, of circumstances that seem bleak, that is how we can still have an others-focused mindset because we know that God is taking care of us. I don't know about you, but, but, but in my life, when I'm going through difficulty, when something's on my mind, you know what my natural tendency is? To think of me, myself, and I. Because I feel like, boy... Uh, Nobody else is going to have my back in this situation, so I better watch my own back. I better figure out whatever it is. Don't you feel like that? But when we know that God is working all things together for our good, we know that God is focused on on the work he's doing on me. So therefore, even in those circumstances, I don't need to be self-focused. And that's what we see happening in the churches of Macedonia, even amidst this severe test of affliction. Their mindset is on others. Last thing I want to point out here, just with this this phrase, severe test of affliction, is, is, is also the word affliction. Do you know how Paul starts out the book of 2 Corinthians? In chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul talks about affliction. And here is how we are to view affliction in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, in verse 3, he's talking about God the Father. And he says, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why does God comfort us in all our affliction? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Wow. So God promises to, as we look to Him, to comfort us in our affliction. And this isn't just so that we feel better. It is that testing, that refinement, so that the things we go through, we are able then to in turn minister to others to comfort them with the same comfort God has given us. 
There's no encouragement. There's no, um, there, there's no more just uplifting time than walking along a difficulty with someone who has already traveled that difficulty, right? This is what Paul is, uh, is talking about, that God refines us both for his own glory so that we would be the people he has called us to be, but also so that that work would overflow to others as we minister. So the outward setting of of the Corinthian or the Macedonian church giving, being a giving people, it is severe test of affliction. And then Paul characterizes it as extreme poverty. I mean, these these are two things that seem totally the opposite of giving. Extreme affliction and poverty. In fact, literally, um, that extreme poverty would be the depth of their poverty. But let's contrast that with what we see on the outside. Rather than these Christians acting all depressed, rather than these Christians just thinking about themselves, rather than these Christians saying, you know what, I, even during... This holiday season, I'm contextualizing here to, to our present day. Man, I'm going through all this stuff. How in the world can I celebrate Christmas because of what I'm experiencing? Rather than any of that, what do we see the description of here? Verse 2. How do we contrast test of affliction? With abundance of joy. Same thing that James chapter 1 and verses 2 to 3 talk about. My brothers, count it all joy when you face various tests. Not that you're counting the, the, the difficulty joy, but James says because when this test has accomplished it, its purpose, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Severe test of affliction when viewed through the loving, sovereign eyes of God, we can have an abundance of joy. What about that description of depth of poverty or extreme poverty? Look at the end of verse 2. What's the outward result of this? They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So depth of poverty is then contrasted with wealth of generosity. It's interesting that this word generosity can also be translated sincerity. Or the idea of simplicity. The idea of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what Paul, what Paul is saying is, is that this church, they were generous in the midst of their trial, not to try to get something from God, not to try to somehow earn favor with God because God's favor, His grace has already been given to them. But they are giving out of a simple and pure devotion to Christ. 
Does that describe your giving this morning? Giving, when it's done from the heart, is a ministry of grace because of the grace God has given us. It's not dependent upon what's going on circumstantially. It is an inward motivation. And then in verses 3 and 4, we see that this giving from the heart, it does indeed overflow, not simply out of a half-filled heart, but a full, overflowing heart. Look at verse 3. For they gave according to to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. We see that because of the fullness of heart that they had, because of the joy in what God has given them through Christ, their future is secure. Their present is secure. Their past is taken care of. That daily grace that God bestows upon their life led them in the overflow of their heart to desire to give all that they could. Verse 3, they gave according to their means. That word means is their ability. And Paul says, I can testify to this. I've seen it. This isn't just a desire to give. This is an actual giving. We're going to talk more as we uh, go on. We're going to uh, take one more week in this passage um, at, at the new year. We're going to talk about that giving according to their means. But not only do they, did they give according to their ability, it says they also gave beyond their means, beyond their ability. And this isn't Paul forcing them to do this. He says this is of their own accord. This was their own decision. They desired to give all they could. Why did they desire to give all they could? Not only because of the grace of God that was given to them, but they, they wanted to do their part for the family of God. That's what verse 4 tells us. They were literally begging earnestly for the favor. That's the word grace again. We see that word coming up repeatedly in this passage. The favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. There's uh, the, the, the ESV that I'm reading from here in verse 4. Uh, the English, it's a great translation, but it doesn't give us the full force uh, of, of what's going on here. In fact, uh, in, in a different translation, the, the, uh, the New English translation, the, the NET, uh, it better describes this idea. It's translated like this, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of the saints. You see, this desire to do their part for the family of God, it was a sincere desire. They didn't just give, they begged. This was with an earnest appeal, they begged us, is another way to translate this opening part of verse 4. 
So literally, they were appealing. How did they appeal? They were begging, let us take part, Paul, of this offering that you're collecting among the churches to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. Please let us be a part of this. That word favor that you see there in verse, uh, in, in verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor. Again, the last time we saw that word was dealing with the grace of God that has been given to them. And they say, in other words, Paul, let us give back. Let us give back in grace. Let us show the grace of God to others. Because of the grace that we've experienced. Did you know that, again, that is the heartbeat of all that we do in the Christian life. When we think about our finances, we know that God is in control of, of our finances and God has given. And, and, and again, we're going to talk more about this in weeks to come, but... Um, the giving according to their means. God is not asking too much. God asks us to give according to our means. And there may be times that God puts in our hearts to even give above our means. But giving is, is an act of grace. Whether it's to the, an individual or whether it's to the work of God that what he's doing here in our church and we give of our tithes and our offerings. Uh, but giving is, is founded not upon people but upon God. And the same thing though is true in any area of giving. We serve one another in the church body not simply because we enjoy it, you mark it down, anywhere you serve in this church body, there are going to be aspects that you simply do not enjoy. And, and, and that's a part of, of what Jesus says about taking up our cross and following Him. There's not every aspect of pastoral ministry that I enjoy. But what does Paul, what does Jesus tell, tell uh, Peter on, the, on the, the seashore, after Peter denied him three times, you remember that? And then they can't find any, catch any fish. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus says, cast it again, and, and they catch the fish. And, and this is true of every area of ministry. D does Jesus say when he questions uh, Peter, does he say, Peter, do you love going around and sharing your faith, sharing the message of the kingdom. Peter, do you love all of the, uh, the sheep? Do they produce this desire in you to simply serve me? What does he start, what does he say? Peter, do you love me? And of course, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then what does he say? Feed my sheep. 
See, brothers and sisters, the reason that we are committed to one another and serve one another, and we're going to see this later in the text, it is not because we always feel like it, or it is not because we enjoy every aspect of wherever God has called us to serve. It is because we love Jesus. Amen? Out of that love for Jesus flows a love for others. Not the other way around. Because you're going to come across people that are really easy to love and really difficult to love. You're going to come across different, uh, different seasons of your life where it's really easy to serve others. It's really hard. You're going to come across different seasons of your life, circumstances that you're trying to minister and you're getting rejected and you're getting talked bad about. And if, it's, if, if your focal point is people, then it's going to be real easy to just say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me. Maybe I'm going to go do something easier. But when it's about Jesus, that's the game changer. We live not for ourselves, we live for Christ. This week, as we are opening up presents and we're seeing our children's faces light up, if you're a parent or a grandparent with your grandchildren, or you're giving a gift to a friend, or you're uh, having a white elephant party at your school this week, or whatever it is, and maybe the face doesn't light up, maybe it kind of sours, or at work or whatever, Every gift is a reminder of the gift that Jesus has given us. They desired to serve as, as mediums of grace to fellowship. That, that word, uh, take part, is literally the word koinonia, Uh, Christian fellowship that Paul uses of churches. They wanted to fellowship by being a giver of grace to these people that they didn't even know in Jerusalem. And then finally and lastly, as we look at this giving from the heart, If we're going to give from our hearts, we have to see that giving is a ministry of grace, the grace God's given to us, that it's not dependent on inward motivation or on outward circumstances, but inward motivation. We not only see that this giving, it's a full heart that we give from, but then in verse 5, giving flows from a relationship to Christ. And this, Paul says, all of this giving, this begging to give, it was not as we expected. Why was it not as they expected? Because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's your motivation. It's a commitment first and foremost to Christ. What I just explained in the example of Peter Peter saying, Jesus saying, do you love me? Okay, if you love me, then serve. Serve my people. Maybe one of the reasons that we struggle with giving is because we focus on step number two and we don't have step number one. 
Our commitment is first and foremost to Christ. Again, I like what Dane Ortland said concerning this. He says, their financial giving was only the outward manifestation of a deeper giving. The money was the tip of the iceberg. You see, these, this, these churches in Macedonia, they, th- uh, this example of giving is just one element of what is happening in their life, of what is happening in the church and the focus of the church. This is not the whole story. And after we have this commitment to Christ, they first gave themselves to the Lord. It says, then by the will of God to us, uh, to the apostles. In other words, as they are seeking to, to gather this offering, they say, we want to take part. We want to be a part of what you are asking us as a church, asking all these churches to do. Their commitment was first to Christ, and that overflowed to commitment to one another. This is a natural outworking. And you know what else? The last phrase of verse 5 is that phrase, by the will of God. When you're reading in the English, sometimes you can think that that, word, that phrase, will of God, it just deals with, with the, the, they gave themselves um, by the will of God to us. But really what that phrase more than likely will of God is referring to is both aspects. God's plan, God's desire is that we are committed first and foremost to Him and out of that to others. Can I ask you this morning, are you seeking to serve your Lord and Savior? Because of your commitment to Christ. Because of the grace that you have received. Or are you seeking to give out of a divided heart? A heart that, yes, you know what Jesus has done for you. You know the blessings that you have received through him. You even know that as as Jesus uh, gave in his model prayer, give us this day our daily bread, provide for us. You know in the deepest part of your hearts that even though things are hard, God is providing, God is meeting your needs, but it's not as easy a road as you would have liked. And that has created a divided heart. Maybe today, this Sunday before Christmas, is the Sunday to say, Lord, my perspective has been off. And Lord, I know that I am secure in your loving care. I know that I have all I need because of what you have provided. So, Lord, I want my life to be marked by giving. First and foremost, giving to you. And out of that, you leading me to serve my church, to to be a person marked by giving in all facets of my life.